High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, Spider-Man, 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 and oh, a special shout out to Spider-Man out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where we and friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening, but first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment. And I would like to see the results. Of course, your homework, as always, is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whatever else they come up with. I don't think Stitcher exists anymore. I'm not sure if that was true the last time we recorded, but don't listen to us on Stitcher. Listen to us about on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. That is the home base for everything Cage Club, all the great pop culture podcasts, including this one if you just like to listen to things in the browser i guess that's where you want to listen i don't know anyway i have some advice for you out there before we talk this awesome film spider-man across the spider-verse hope you watched it hope you went to the theater but if you didn't that's okay we'll break it down for you regardless there will be some spoilers but it's been out for a while at this point so i don't feel bad speaking of a while I think it's been a while since we released, and I have some advice for you, like I said. Never move. Oh my god. Moving is the worst. So I just moved apartments, went from a one-bedroom to a two-bedroom. I don't know if I've announced it here yet, but we are expecting a little slumber at home. So we needed at least one more bedroom for this little slumber to slumber. And, yeah, I don't know. I thought moving was going to be a breeze. Well, I didn't think it was going to be a breeze, but I thought it would be easier than this. I'm still recovering, and that was, like, almost a month ago that I moved. It didn't help that my wife was pregnant, but, you know, I'm not blaming her for that, obviously. That's just part of the biz, part of the deal, right? Point is, we had to move into a new apartment. We had to do a lot of the moving on our own because this is a very popular time to move and it's hard to get movers did not know that either and i'm never going to move again because it's so so hard i apologize if it's been too long since we've chatted but there's so much i gotta get off my chest so whoa 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 the bell does not dismiss you i dismiss you Jeez, this is a platform for me this is a chance to express myself to talk about things and you just want to walk out we got a great movie we're talking today. This movie, oh my god. I, I don't want to get into it too much in the intro, but it blew my effing mind. Of course, we talked about the first one on here, Into the Spider-Verse. 
And I say we because we are joined today by the superintendent, Mike Mancy. He's here. We together will break this film down. But oh my goodness, this one exceeded my expectations. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. I can't wait for you to give us some feedback. How about that? How about do your homework and follow Hexus Lumber Party on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let us know what you think of this little film. Uh, I did have a note since we recorded this. It's been revealed that there were multiple versions in the theater of this movie. How cool is that? I mean, like, that's something that I did not expect. And I think some fans were talking about it online and they confirmed and it was like, yup, that indeed is the case. Oh, man. Well, you know Heights of Slumber Party's back when you hear me rambling like this. So let's get into the movie. Remember, pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you sleep at Brian's because we're about to get our party on. So let's take it away with something off this Spider-Verse 2 soundtrack. What is the song called? I was listening to it this morning. Oh, that's right. It is called Calling, performed by Metro Boomin, Sway Lee, Nav, and I love this name, A Boogie with the Hoodie. <laughs> Class dismissed. I just came to my senses. Yo, I stay in another dimension. Fear is non-existent. Superintendent has returned. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mike Manzi. <laughs> a man who quite literally needs no introduction because we've nixed your introductions here in High School Slumber Party. That's right, because I am the superintendent. I didn't totally forget all about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, but it's good to be back. I've been on sabbatical, I guess. It's been a, it's been a while, but I'm back now. Well, I was, I was thinking, was it you or was it a different... Spider-Verse version of you, Oh, Mike. maybe that's why I don't remember. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's not that Mandela Bernstein Bears thing. Maybe it's the, <laughs> the Michael-verse. The Michael-verse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But it's good to have you back here. It doesn't feel like it's been too long of a layoff for us because, no. of course, we do other projects together. But it's yes. been a while for High School Slumber Party. Yeah. It feels special to do the high school slumber party. Like, it feels a show unto itself. It, you know, all the shows feel different, have their own vibe. But this one, your your oldest show, your show, you know, that you host, co-host AP with Island, But, like, you were doing this for a long time. And we share summers together now, you know? Like, this will be our third consecutive summer of Corey's, which we'll talk about another time. But it's like the season of high school slumber party. I'm ready. School's out. I'm ready to do some sleepovers. Yeah, we've had spider summers before, so this one should just fall in line with those. But Mike, I was looking at my programming, and you might be spending a lot more time in High School Slumber Party, not right. just for the Corey stuff. So, Oh, yeah. Well, I'm ready. Just the last programming note is that The Monsters That Made Us, my show with Dan Cologne, is taking a break for the summer. Uh, hopefully, uh, here's a little rumor uh we might be back by halloween fingers crossed so i got time baby 
Well, there's another franchise that's sort of having an animated reboot this summer that we might need to cover some of those films, and I'll leave it at that. Oh wait, um, gotta give me a give me a give me a hint. Oh wait, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, and and all I'll say is um, saw the trailer for the first time in theaters to it before Spider Verse. Looks amazing. Can't wait to see that movie. Yeah, again, just to tease it further, this version is supposed to be the more teenage version. Oh yeah. It. So that's why we do have to cover it in Heist's Slumber Party. But before that, let's get into the Spider-Verse once again. So much to talk about today because, of course, we are talking Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, a sequel to Into yes. the Spider-Verse. Oh man, Mike, this one's going to be fun. Yeah, very much a uh, highly anticipated movie for me. I know for lots of people, but uh, it w- kind of just after that first one was such a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways that it's just like, yes, more of this as much as possible. And it's interesting because since this, I feel like it's influenced a lot of animation oh, that's yeah. come since and a lot of style has sort of pushed away from realism and Pixar and sort of that CG sheen and getting into this more expressive, like different types of medium, like using, making it look like it's drawn with colored pencils and stuff um, or with paint. A very interesting example of a show that I'm currently watching on, on Max, not HBO Max, just Max, (laughs) is the new Gremlin show. So there's the Gremlins, like Secrets of the Mogwai, and it's not done like Spider-Verse, but it's done in a very awesome kind of cell-shaded. It looks like one of the old Zelda games for the GameCube. Like, it looks amazing. Uh, Almost like the new Turtle movie, right? Like the new Turtle movie, very much going for that um, brushstroke. Like, you can see the brushstrokes everywhere. Yeah, I just love that. I love what they did with this. I feel like they really pushed it even further and yeah it was awesome yeah these feel like pieces of art when you watch them it it is funny mike you you bring up the pixar like toy story blew people's mind because it looks so like real right and now it's it's crazy that you're right we are pushing away from that i thought you were gonna say that spider-verse was so influential in just superhero and marvel content because i feel like it was as well Post Spider Verse, how many expanded universe stories did we get? And I know that comes from the comics, but how many did we get in in Marvel and DC and in all those worlds and, and the connective tissue? Right. And again, I know they're not the first to do it, but they right. definitely showed a lot of people that like, oh, this is possible on screen. Let's try this with live action. So yeah, I think you're onto something. Like, because if memory serves, this is way before like the live action multiverse stuff and before what if and it was like good it was like good to prime fans for things that could be coming with other characters like to use spider-man someone who's so instantly recognizable and iconic and to be like oh here's another version of that or here's four more versions of that you could really kind of wrap your head around it because you're so familiar with like just the graphic image of what Spider-Man's supposed to look like. You could be like, oh, I get that this one's noir and this one's anime and so forth, and this one's a pig. Uh, And it was smart whether or not it was intentional or just kismet to 
have this come before all the live action multiverse stuff in theaters and on Disney Plus and even now with the Flash and the DC and all that kind of stuff that's really dominating like the overarching storylines of these phases and things coming along because now you can kind of understand like, oh, that's Captain America, but like he works for Hydra because, you know, like maybe Steve Rogers grew up in Russia instead of Brooklyn or something. And like, yeah, I think it was pretty clever whether it was meant to be or not. Yeah, and the movies, the first film's surprising success really you know, uh, highlighted your point, Mike, and really affirmed it to the powers that be. The first Spider-Verse, not that they expected it to bomb, but they thought it was going to be like a modest niche hit, and it ended up winning an Oscar. Like, it it was a big deal. So it told the studios, let's push this franchise, let's push this, especially Sony. We know we've gone over it on this show, and by the way, if you're tuning in and you're like, High School Slumber Party... It's not a Marvel show. We do talk a lot of Spider-Man because he is the teenage superhero. Don't need to fill you in. Just check out old back catalog episodes of High School Slumber Party where we talk about most of the Spider-Man films, at least the ones where he's a teen, which is most of them. This really told the studios that like the Miles Morales character was bankable, that they could make a lot of money with the uh, animation side, and specifically Sony which I, I brought up our old episodes because we went over this, right? Like, once the M- MCU came out, Sony, who had Spider-Man, was, like, grasping at straws for their own universe, eventually having to tag team up with Disney and the MCU. And, you know, they were they released Venom and other side projects. What's the one you really like with Jared Leto as a vampire? You said it was your favorite. It's Morbin time. Morbius, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, up until, you know, Craven the Hunter gets released, which I just watched the trailer for oh, yeah. before, before coming on tonight. And yeah, like Sony did have kind of an issue where it came to Spider-Man and it's like, we can't really do much with him in live action at the moment. Let's explore that with uh, animation and like that's that's great like that's a great way to kind of um, get people to see in a way that that they're more willing to accept the fantastic if it's animated than if it's live action and you can kind of explore more spider-man and get a lot do a lot of heavy lifting with animation or a comic book and stuff and when they had to like use humans they have to do like the villains like venom and morbius and craven and the vulture guy showing up and all this kind of stuff. And so like that first movie really proved kind of like, Oh, well, like we can kind of go off and just do Spider-Verse stuff on our own and do the live action stuff in association with Marvel and have the MCU stuff, you know, go on too. And they have all these wings happening in the Spider-Verse after this movie, after I believe this is, this is attributed to the success of the original at the point of this movie, now they're saying like, oh, the Spider-Verse, it, the cartoon or the animated movie is kind of the actual linchpin of everything. Like this like this is what matters most is the comic book and, and the whatever's drawn. And then there's very few sort of live action Spider-Verse universes out there, you know, maybe only the ones we've ever seen. And and I liked that as well to be saying, you know, um, you know, we're we're counting this as to use a word thrown around this movie a lot as canon, as like you know, most Spider-Men are animated. You know, is <laughs> uh, just very rare to get a live-action one, and so this franchise has really kind of 
come around full circle in a creative way to solve a lot of problems with their handling of the multiverse and cross company um, cooperation and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Can't wait to talk all about it. Just want to remind everyone out there that this will be a spoiler filled episode. So if you haven't gone to the theater and seen it yet as of this recording, uh, you might not want to listen, or you do, but we're just warning you, right? Um, typically, we read the back of the DVD, but since it is not DVD-related or streaming anywhere, only in theaters as of now, I'm going to read the little summary here from Sony's actual website. So, Ooh, nice. Here goes. Miles Morales returns for the next chapter of the Oscar-winning Spider-Verse saga. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters the Spider Society, a team of spider people charged with protecting the multiverse's very existence. But when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders and must set out on his own to to save those he loves most. Anyone can wear the mask. It's how you wear it. That makes you a hero. Nice. Like, if I found a random person on, a sh- on the street, an adult, who wasn't familiar with this, and I read that, they'd be like, oh, sounds like a kid's movie. And I saw this in the theater alone, and honestly, it was in the morning, and there were mostly kids there. But I think this is a movie for everybody to answer a question later, right? Because I got emotional in this movie. Oh, yeah. I got, like, really into it. Me too. I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Real quick, though, like, I, I saw it kind of in the afternoon, and the theater was packed. Like, way more people here than when I saw Flash. And all ages, whereas Flash was mostly, like, guys my age, I was sitting next to, like, an old lady who had their entire family, like, every generation. And, like, I looked around the theater, there were little kids, you know, regular-sized kids like teenagers adults like everybody so like it was a really nice it was a really nice demographic it was like oh wow like like everybody's here to see something that appeals to them in one way or the other when you say flash you mean flash thompson of course right oh yes indeed Uh, i meant flash gordon to be honest (laughs) a lot of flashes in the comic world yeah did flash thompson and flash gordon show up in the flash movie no, but it's funny because there's a lot of flashes on the TV show, which is like one reason I stopped watching because every, <laughs> every season a new fucking Flash would show up. <laughs> uh, anyway. Look, if you're a fan of like, what is that? The Arrowverse, right? Like that's the Yeah, TV it was one. great for a long time. I, I loved Arrow. I loved that show. But you got to claim if you're a fan of those shows, like, hey, wait a second. We were doing it before anybody. They did. They did Flashpoint. They did Crisis. Their crossover Crisis on Infinite Earths was great. The one after that was good. Like, all of that stuff was a lot of fun. I don't know what happened in the end, uh, but I bailed a couple years ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> so production on this film, like like I mentioned, after the first film, they got really excited. Um, you know, pandemic slowed it a little bit. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nice thing about animation is like you could definitely work from home on this stuff or, or come sure. into the office and space out at the office, like plenty of space between people. The wonderful Phil Lord, Chris Miller and uh, David Callahan wrote it, you know, Lord and Miller, 
people behind the Lego movie and so many other things. They, they really spearheaded the first one. I was happy to see that they returned to write this one. Um, in, in our universe here in High School Slumber Party, we'll definitely talk about 21 Jump Street and 22 oh, yeah. Jump Street. But recently, a lot of people have been talking to me about them because, of course, they are the creators of Clone High. and Oh, dude. Clone High's back. So, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I forgot to tell you about that. I know, man, figured you'd see that, but I popped up. I was like, holy shit. And and what uh, streaming service is it on, Mike? Just Max. <laughs> Just Max. Um, that's a really deep cut if you're fans of our other show. They, oh, you think that's a deep cut? I'm going to whip out another one for fans of this show. They should use the line from Space Camp. Max is friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a yeah. fucking robot that loved, <laughs> I'm sorry, Leaf Phoenix. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the directors this time were Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. We know on an animated film, especially one that's like two hours and a half long, you need a bunch of directors. It's a lot of uh, back, okay. end, back end work. Like, now, this has made already $500 million against a $100 million budget. It's a lot of work still. I know $100 million, believe yeah. it or not, doesn't sound like a lot for a Marvel film, but it's a lot for an animated well, film. I don't know if I've ever stated this opinion, but if I could just get on a soapbox for two seconds here and say it's bullshit that only one person should be directing movies at a time, like there's some W. There's some director's guild code or whatever saying, like, it's very rare for two people to be, you know, you get the Coen brothers. Mostly, at first, it was a lot of brothers that were allowed. And I think it's because they were related. They're like, yeah, you have to to be a tandem or a team to. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And and, And I feel like it's hard to get that qualification. Uh, It's getting, you're seeing that more and more now. But I just think it's bullshit, man. Like, you could have. Two, three directors on a live action film that cost, you know, $200 million. Like, I would feel, be- I mean, and you kind of do with a second unit director directing most of the action and then third unit and so forth and so on. The actual main director generally just works with the actors at the, with, like, you know, the dramatic stuff I, I, I've heard. Uh, but, like, that always bugged me. And, like, a movie like this definitely needs more attention because of the different art styles that they're dealing with you know like you need one director just to deal with punk rock spider-man alone just that one character or something you know just in the amount of style going into these things right like it would be impossible for one person to direct this movie yeah for sure and you know i think you hit the nail on the head mike the huge ass marvel films not to take away from like the director but there is absolutely no way that an Avengers film is helmed by one person. Let's be honest. Those yeah, films are yeah. too big, shot in multiple places at the same time. So you're absolutely right. I'm glad you got on the soapbox for that. They figured that out with the Russo brothers, right? I mean, after Joss Whedon was like, I had a nervous breakdown or whatever. Like, I couldn't finish Ultron. Like, it got out of control you know, or whatever. Like you hear people say that a lot about movies that are just like too big. But then the Russo brothers, it's like, all right, we got two guys here, uh, on top of all the second unit guys and gals. So and the heavy-handed Marvel producers, right? Like it's it, right. These are team movies. They're not like single-minded artistic Christopher Nolan visions, right? These are team movies for better or worse. Team, not teen, by the way. Summer teen, summer teen. Summer teen, yeah. Are you like going to cover Ms. Marvels, the Marvels? Oh, that would be a fun show. 
Uh, I guess I could. I guess I could cover the Marvels. That we don't do too much TV here. No, no, you don't even have to do the whole show. You just do the movie. She's a teenager. She's gonna be in a new movie. What one superhero project at a time, Mike? I want to talk cast, but not characters. So let's not um, take the avenues to dive in so much with the characters here, but because there are so many that we will get so off track. But just wanted to mention that uh, Shamik Moore returned as Miles Morales. Haley Steinfeld from the Edge of Seventeen uh, returns as oh from Bumblebee. Right? Bumblebee, yes, returns as Gwen Stacy. Brian Tyree Henry as Jeff Morales, Miles' dad. Luna Lauren Velez as Rio Morales, Miles' mom. Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker. Yeah, man. If you seem like if it seems like I'm rushing through here. Gotta mention that this is technically in the Francisverse because oh uh, yeah, not maybe not Francis's favorite nephew Nick Cage, but one of Francis's <laughs> nephews, Jason Schwartzman, plays our big bad, the Spot here. Awesome, loved it, love it, love the possibility of maybe seeing him in live action one day as this character, maybe in the next movie, like for a minute, but like. So, I, I mean, I, I didn't even know he was going to be in this movie. And I'm sitting down, I'm like, I know that voice. I definitely know that voice. And <laughs> it was great. I was like, Francis Connection. Yeah, absolutely. Love seeing that. Some of the new characters. Uh, Issa Rae as Spider-Woman. J- Jess Drew version. Uh, Karen Sani, who's in a ton of stuff. I really like him. Uh, he plays the Spider-Man India, as he's credited as. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know him from Deadpool, I think. He was yeah, like, yeah, he's in Deadpool. He's like that uh, Uber driver, I think. Daniel Kaluuya as Mike. Well, I knew you were going to love this guy watching this movie. Spider-Punk. Spider-Punk. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just love this actor, too, in general. Like, one of my new favorite movies is Nope, and he's so good in that, along with Kiki Palmer, who's also one of my other favorite actors at this moment, but too bad she wasn't in here. But, yeah, I love the spider punk like concept is so insane get to that oh for sure and then my guy i mean he's everyone's guy at this point oscar isaac as miguel o'hara slash spider-man 2099 what a character yeah very cool oscar isaac having his um his marvel moment right he's moon knight he's spider-man 2099 um, he was Apocalypse in, in an X-Man movie at one yeah. point. He was wasted. Oh, yeah. We'll just leave it at that. No one, no one um, talks about that one, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, it counts, it counts. Of course, we got a return by Mahershala Ali as uh, Uncle Aaron. Um, we get that later yep. in the film. Great yep. voice. We get occasional, you know, from all the Spider-Men we meet, we have some cool cameos. Oh, one, oh yeah, yeah. One of my favorites was Andy Samberg as uh, Scarlet Spider. Oh, yeah. You're aware of that character, right? Uh, that's one of, of the characters that I'm very aware of because uh, I remember in the 90s when I, you know, when I was a kid and like I wasn't a huge comic guy. I know you were way more into comics than I was, but I grew up in like that buff 90s, darker spider uh, superhero era in comics. Like, remember Death of Superman, like things like oh, yeah, that. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. They looked like that. So I was happy to see this character here because it reminded me of that era. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there was definitely, like, when around the time of, like, image comics taken off and everyone trying to ape them. But, like, this was also 
I don't want to get, you know, we're not going to get more into characters later and stuff, but like, I love seeing him here because he's based off of like the clone saga Mm -hmm. in the comics, which was very complex to sort of like wrap your head around. And like, he's drawn like a comic book, like he's 2D. Like that was really cool about that also. So just, just loving all the flair here. And that's what's honestly great about this movie. It's for everyone in a sense, like a kid with no knowledge of 90s comics could watch this and love this. But if you're like a super nerd and know all the comics, you're freaking out as well, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like you needed um, prior knowledge to enjoy everything. But if you had it, there's little nuggets for you. Well, like, I'll even go as far to say as, you know, the main guy here running things, Spider-Man 29, 2099, kind of wasn't like a huge hit necessarily like i've read it i remember like i mean people liked it but 2099 was a whole sort of like string a series that kind of failed uh, about like future versions of marvel characters and he was the only one that kind of caught on and i guess somehow he got stranded in our timeline and i don't know i i didn't read him that long but like it's just interesting that they based the like the group around him because I don't feel like he is an especially well-known version. He's like going to be new for a lot of people, you know? Maybe that's why they did it because it's like here's a radically new version of Spider-Man. He's not your average white guy. He's part vampire. He's kind of a dick, you know? Like drastic like almost as different as Miles is as a Spider-Man. So, it was kind of an interesting play. It was definitely unexpected, but I think it worked really well. Yeah, because there, there's so many Spider-Men in here, they just gloss over so many of them, you know? So it was interesting, the ones that they actually did focus on. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I don't want to get into every cameo here, because I think we'll get into some of the really important ones uh, later. But do want to shout out Rachel Dratch, who plays the guidance counselor. Ziggy Marley, who I just saw live, plays uh, the Jamaican shop owner. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I mean, J.K. Simmons, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say um, Shay Wingham as oh, George yeah. Stacy, if you're a fan of the Festiverse. Mm. He's from there. A little crossover action. And many, many others that we're, we're missing, right? Like, this is a movie with a huge voice cast. So let's really talk more about the film, the characters, our favorite moments, uh, again, it's fresh in both our minds, but also we're in a theater. We're not like uh, with a notebook. So if we miss something, I apologize. But guess what? Go on YouTube. Go on your uh, podcast app. A lot of people are talking this film because it is a really, really big deal. If you want all like the Easter eggs and stuff and the deep cuts, like go to a place like Screen Crush or or plenty of the other places on YouTube for that. We're just going to talk feelings here and how this movie, you know, really, really sort of made us, I mean, for me at least, like, get emotional, go wild at times. So two overarching things that I felt while watching this, and a lot of them were from the first one, but the carryover here was bigger. And first, you know, just really want to applaud this Miles Morales character. Hell yeah. In this decade and in the previous decade, studios have made a, and I say this as a Latin person, but they've made a a pretty huge leap when it comes to representation. But a lot of times, to be honest with you, it's felt token. It's felt, not always, but it's felt a little bit like, yeah, there's no other word for for it to me than token. Disingenuine. Just just like, 
like forced. MTV. Yeah, forced. Yes. Yeah. This character, the Miles Morales character, does not feel that way at all. I'm watching this, and I'm and I'm literally as a 35 year old person, like, holy shit! There are not a lot of characters that I relate to like this there are not a lot of films that i watch that are mainstream films that say here's the lead and and let's get cultural with it you know and this movie leans into it even further from lines of like that he's getting a b in spanish you know i could definitely relate to that growing up (laughs) i cannot speak enough to how well this movie normalizes a non-white lead and doesn't make it feel cringy, at least in my mind. Uh, again, I, right. you're speaking as a white man, but do, do you feel that way? Well, yeah, because what I enjoy, and I, I say this, I've been saying this more and more lately on the shows, on shows, but when it really, when I really mean it, I say it, is that like this type of writing and this type of character development and this type of acting and, and directing and everything is why I love movies is because as the kind of person I am, right, the average white guy, I've seen enough movies about my experience, okay? Like, and those are boring at this point. And it's like, I kind of, unless it's like a horror movie and they're going to kill all the white guys, like, I kind of don't really care to see a bunch of that happening. And, you know, like, I strive to to sort of seek out movies far from my average experience, right? And this is like, seems like such a genuine window into a world that I just don't know about that I can learn from through an incredibly entertaining experience as well right like it can be sincere as well as entertaining without just being like a commercial for the experience you know where i'm getting at like it doesn't feel like a frito doesn't feel like a fritos commercial or some shit like that like (laughs) and maybe i shouldn't have said fritos commercial but like you know what i'm getting at like it doesn't feel like an ad in that way like it feels like you're getting like a window into a cultural experience like most people are living but a lot of us don't understand entirely you know and we need to be educated um more honestly in these kinds of ways and less like like his dad's a cop right so like they don't think they ever once bring up gun violence because obviously like it they know what they're they know about it you know and so like it doesn't feel cheapened to bring up that whole category of you know gun shops on the court whatever you know like they don't really get what's the word i'm looking for like uh stereotypical ever with any of this yeah and preachy right like it doesn't feel preachy and i'll just go back to that moment in which is it Endgame uh, with like with the four or five women are just walking together? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You watch that now, and it feels so forced. I get it. Cool, you know, women superheroes are awesome. I'll get into that in a second. Girls get it done. At the time, I wasn't so against it, but when I've rewatched it, I'm like, someone in twenty years is going to look at this and be like, "What? Why did the, why is this?" <laughs> Why did this shot? Because at the time they're like forcing it down your throat, pandering, pandering, pandering. Yeah, pandering. And this movie does not feel like pandering. It's just a different character with a different experience. And again, I I think they nail it. And um, I'm glad that there's a lot more nuance. And that's not universal, but I'm glad there's a lot more nuance in films these days, even from five years ago. And this this to me was just a treat. Uh, again, speaking as a Latin person to watch, and and I hope for everyone, but. Also want to get into the fact, uh, the Spider-Gwen thing. It This opens with Spider-Gwen 
and not like for five yeah. minutes, right? Like this, this is like what a 15, 20 minute uh, Spider Woman opening here. This, this is like her movie um, for a lot of it. Uh, like we don't get, we get that. It's funny how they bring the opening title sequence from the first movie back, but you're right. It's like 15, 20 minutes into the movie when she goes to see Miles or something, and it shattered me you know like it it opened okay so it reminded me it made me think of guardians 3 how guardians 3 wants to open their movie on a real melancholy note literally playing that song creep right while everyone's walking around like drunk or whatever and like in a bad mood and it just kind of hit me wrong to open a movie like that to make me feel kind of sad in the opening like that for my characters for these characters but like this movie does that perfectly like this was like the opening to up you know like i i attribute it to that like that kind of that kind of sequential storytelling well done you know i mean it needed dialogue but the dialogue is incredible how she keeps like repeating phrases and everything and the visuals are incredible and her story is so heartbreaking by the way uh, how everyone's um own universe if you will their own spider-verse has different animation style and hers is so great yes. because it's response it's like watercolors and it's responsive to her emotions so didn't mean to cut you off but but i just it was oh, so yeah. beautiful that's all great just like how different she is it kind of feels like you know if if gwen stacy doesn't die in her universe she gets bit by the spider right and if she gets bit by the spider peter is going to be the one that dies so like mm-hmm. there's just they start setting up like the whole canon event kind of thing you know by saying like we're all going through this same stuff i love the idea of miles being like just because we're going through it like it doesn't mean we have to and it's going to get me later to what i think the, the next movie is going to be about but like yeah just a perfect setup and a perfect sort of misdirection too to be like she even says like we're going to do this differently from the top or something i i just really enjoyed how the movie just tried to reset in a different direction uh first so yeah really really interesting way to go and mike as you know you know personally i don't know how many listeners know but uh you know i'm gonna be a father a father of a daughter and i promised myself i wouldn't be like that guy who's like now that i'm a father this is what i learned or like you know hashtag girl dad or anything like that but like i couldn't help but watching this uh, spider Gwen character and her story and thinking like holy shit like i would love i can't wait till my daughter watches this film and Mm. when we were growing up mike how many movies were for boys and girls right there was boys movies and there was girls movies right yeah Maybe the wizard. The wizard is the only one I can think of with a boy and a girl in it that, like, you split it down the middle. I mean, she's a strong female character. I mean, she might be, like, 15 or 12, but... No, but, yeah, there there was some here or there, but there was just so many movies, and and girls' movies are a certain way, and boys' movies were a certain way, and superhero movies were almost always boys' movies. And then we got some that were, like, girls' movies, right? Like, especially recently. And they also felt, like, in your face. This just feels like... And like I said, anyone can watch this movie and find characters they relate to. So I love Gwyn's story here. And I love how it's just woven into Miles' story. And again, they, they quite literally exist in separate universes that sometimes, yeah, they get together and, and they do have this chemistry. And it's also like a, a chemistry of friends first. 
obviously Miles wants to go too far, but like he respects the hell out of her and her superhero ness. You know, we'll get into their story yeah. a, a little bit later. And then I just want to draw that line to what a what a dad story this film, right? Like almost every character has like quote unquote daddy issues. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I don't mean that in like a, a weird way, but um, I just want to draw the line to Peter B. Parker with uh, his kid. What's the kid's name? May- Mayday. 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 Right, and he's like the annoying dad i'm kind of talking about you know like but like you know it's played it's played for comedy like oh look at the pictures of her and she has powers and everything again it 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 could tug at a lot of people's heartstrings but for me it was like the miles being part latino character and the parent daddy daughter stuff in this that really (laughs) that really uh got to me so i just wanted to lead off the top of that very cool no, I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I hope a lot of people, a lot of the more like of the adults, I think that's what they're I think that's what they're going for. Like what I love about this movie is that it treats the material so seriously while still being able to eventually have fun with it. But uh, like it's clever in that way. But like it could like, it could be just like live action, you know, like that's how it feels like it's not like. Yes, we'll get there, but it's not like these main characters, like the setup of this isn't that they can like sort of pull a hammer out of their pocket and conk anyone on the head and you're going to see like birds flying around. Well, one, one character can do it. Yeah. I'm (laughs) saying, I'm not saying that I'm saying in a world where that's possible, they're not, (laughs) they never lean on that for storytelling purposes. Like maybe with spider ham in the first one, because it was like, kind of like, you know, that was part of the joke was like, let's really push it, see what they'll, really accept but in this it's like no i watched the the gwen stacy's opening thing and it's like they're gonna do this movie like this is gonna be a live action movie no doubt like this character you know for and 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 but like there's been spider women before but like they haven't been sort of in the foreground as much as as spider gwen has been um and i mean too many reasons and too long to go into all of that and why and stuff but like you know with the new spider woman now hopefully they're, they're gonna do the same thing you know like she's pregnant for crying out loud and she's fighting crime so i love all that and like i love the whole concept of their like her and miles are literally worlds apart you know and like it's such a cliche in in teen movies especially to be like you know we're from different worlds but like they're literally from two different worlds you know and the way that that things affect you so i also and i I definitely love their acute sort of sense of visual storytelling like of course the animation's gorgeous but like you see this in sort of as master strokes in other movies when like lighting changes or or camera angles change because of emotional beats. And the you know obvious one is when music changes and musical cues come in and hit. But like to do it with like the watercolors and the color and the light and all that stuff like on in this movie, like really hit. I don't think they did that with the first one uh, so much, but like they really lay it on with this. And I think that that was a very cool choice uh, to really like differentiate how her world reacts, you know, to her uh basically so all very cool stuff going on here wish i wish i could relate a little more to the father stuff i suppose well i mean i had a father i mean that's one thing <laughs> like i'm not gonna ever be one but like you know i'm i'm looking forward to seeing you raise a kid 
<laughs> maybe maybe I'll be just like Peter B. Parker. Who knows? But um, <laughs> there's so many angles we could go here with this story. But this is High School Slumber Party. I love first in this first sequence seeing Gwen in her high school, in her world, right? Like she's in a band. She's the drummer. But I could, I, well, I can relate to that. She's in a high school band and she plays drums in it. I did that. She quits, though, because, like, um, you know, she, she's kind of angsty. We get some more angsty characters later. Yeah, but wasn't wasn't that after the incident at the prom, though? I believe right? so. I believe so, Like, yeah. she's telling the flashback between her and Peter. Oh, man, it's so sad how Ned in this universe was his bully instead of his best friend. Yeah, that's instead crazy. Instead of his guy in the chair. Bullied him to the point where, like, he turned himself into the lizard and attacked him at the prom. That was wild. Yeah, that is yeah, that is wild. Again, I love seeing like same characters in universes just pl- be different parts of the same story. Like I think that's so cool. Uh, but yeah, Gwyn in high school is awesome. It does mirror Miles a lot. And then when we get to Miles' story, it's so teenager. It's so high school. It's what I love about Spider Man. There's two things I've always loved about Spider Man, and I've said it on the show before. The New Yorkness and the teenness, right? Like uh, that he has these powers, and yet he's still a teen in high school. We open with this guidance counselor meeting, essentially, that Miles' parents are at, and but he can't get to because he's fighting crime. Um, and, and during this, we get a montage of basically what's he, what he's been up to, and he's doing like those. The ad for baby powder make me made me laugh where he had to like apologize. Oh, yeah. It says with great powder becomes uh, comes great responsibility, which is funny. But ultimately, it's about his future. His parents are concerned about his future, and that guidance counselor is great. The one played by Rachel Dratch, because as soon as he goes in and you know he has a spiel and he runs out, she's like, "Yeah, he's lying to you." Right. This is not tangentially a teenage film. This is not tangentially a high school film. It very much is a high school film about a teenage boy and about that time in your life. Also, we see Miles' growth spurt, which is awesome, right? Like, he's a yeah, little yeah. taller now. He's a little, you know, awkward, but he's bigger. Like, yeah. So what do you think of these just, like, at-home elements? Well, I loved it because we didn't we didn't get enough of his parents in the first one, you know? Uh, that was, I think, a big kind of... Um cry out was like you know if you're gonna have his parents be like kind of mixed like this like show more of it and they did they go like all in on the family life and i love it and you need that to really get into the mind of the character and realize why he makes his certain choices he makes you know and to see that they're kind of still overbearing and to be able to do what he can do and not be able to tell them and for them to still, you know, be constantly worried about them and him, you know, not being able to tell them why they don't have to worry about him. And it, it, it's interesting because this is going to also come up much later with the Spider Brigade or whatever the hell they call themselves. <laughs> but it also it also happened with the guys in the first movie, the guys and girls in the first movie. Um, and it kind of is a reoccurring thing in, in Miles's life, which I think it drives him in a certain direction, which is that, like, everybody around him are these, like groups of people not just like a person telling him this but like people who agree that they know what's best for him right his parents they're together and they know what's best for him the guys from the first movie they were like you're not coming along we're gonna tie you up we know what's best for you you're not ready 
the spider people in this one they're like miles like this doesn't belong to you You're like you don't belong to this this isn't for you right like this isn't you don't you know we know what's best for you all this shit and so that's exactly how it feels to be a teenager you know and i feel like that lacks the central focus to so many high school movies that you don't have a character that that really feels like that i think angus is a great example because of his prom date in that like her revelation in that movie you know i feel like uh like goes a long way to sort of dispel rumors of popularity and all that kind of shit i don't know where i'm getting off to anyway but like that movie just like you know i think a lot of people are like oh yeah like i can do my own thing like you know when i try and do what other people think is best for me like i end up not being happy and possibly in this movie you know in a lot of danger <laughs> uh which he might be ready for because he says hello to danger but <laughs> anyway i don't know yeah like that's a big thing in this movie is like people are telling him like what to do and how to do it and they don't you know no one really knows kind of like what's best for you and when you try and please other people like that you know you start like destroying universes maybe as part of <laughs> Uh, speaking of destroying universes, let's get more into the spot because that's like the main villain that he's fighting here. And it ends up being the big bad. Um, I I was shocked by this because he seemed like, again, one of those villains that Spider-Man beats up at the beginning of the movie that ends up being inconsequential. Right. Like right. He, he's looking for money in an ATM and he's like screwing it up. Like this is not someone who seems like he's going to like just literally destroy worlds. Right. And right. I, I thought that was so cool and so subversive to the problem. Maybe subversive isn't the right word, but just... No, I, yeah. Well, it just conquers the problem that a lot of people have with Marvel villains. That, like, they're, like, in one or two categories. Like, they're just really strong or they're conniving in a certain way. But they're all like, oh, I'm all powerful, you know? They're, a lot of them fall into that category. And this guy, again, played excellently by Jason Schwartzman. He's not that, right? He describes how sort of Peter is semi-responsible for the way he well, is. He blames, he blames him. He oh, blames yeah. him. He blames <laughs> him. And he doesn't. He just doesn't want to be this way. So he's like figuring out his own body, essentially, and, and what it all means. And he goes from being, like, again, this insecure science nerd to, yes, all-powerful, but he's never, like... He, he does, never feels like Thanos or anything like that, right? Yeah, yeah. It feels like what he's doing is a little more collateral damage, like accidental. Like he might not entirely be sure of everything that he's doing. But I love how he mirrors Miles in the in the sense that like all this guy ends up wanting is to be taken seriously, is to be heard. Like you know, just listen to me and like maybe I'll stop doing this. And that's kind of like, no one listens to Miles, you know, like no one wants to hear what he has to say. And like, we find out at the end of this movie, like he's got, he, you know, there's a dark side to Miles. You kind of don't want to push him too far possibly, you know? So like, I loved the character of Spot as well. I think he is very subversive, Brian, because like as a comic book fan and a cartoon fan and all that kind of stuff, like he is sort of a one shot, one off villain of the week kind of thing, because no one mm. could really figure out like what to do with him. He does kind of seem like he might be overpowered to some degree if you don't know really like what to do with him. But like, I, I like how they 
took this very unassuming character and we're like, you know what? Like we're going to really level them up and pump them up and see what happens when we take this character on a journey. And like, let's treat this character as seriously as like Norman Osborn. Like what if this happened, you know, like, let's just see where this goes. Like what would be the natural progression like of him um, figuring out what he's, what he's capable of. And so we don't see it entirely but he goes on like his own journey of self-discovery and by the end of this movie he somewhat becomes like a god or like god tier like level powers where he can like you you know he might not be this thanos but like it seems like he could destroy a universe in a snap of a finger but that's not his intent you know like that's not necessarily what his game plan is we're not i don't know if we're entirely sure of what he wants to do yet but i really liked everything they did with this guy. He never has the Thanos personality, but might end up having the power. Um, he seems unconfident, even when he's confident, right? <laughs> like he, well, Yeah, doesn't he like pick himself in the balls or something? Like that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I want to get into the Spider-Verse world and all that, but in this version of Brooklyn, though, and in this version of New York, Miles is like home. I love seeing the subtle differences. Like, where we can tell it's not our Earth. Like, for example, he's wearing a Brooklyn basketball jersey, which would be the Nets, but it's Nick's colors. Like, in this world, like, ah. that's just their color colors. And there's a lot of stuff in the background that's subtly different. Uh, if you look at the skyline, it's a little different than, like, the accurate New York skyline. And you know that's intentional. Everything they do here is intentional. Yeah. It's not called NYPD. It's called PDNY, right? It's just subtle, right. subtle things to tell you that, like, yeah, Miles seems like he's in our universe, but he's in clearly a, a different world. I think the big jump that this one does that I haven't heard anyone hate it, but I could see being controversial to some people is acknowledge the live action films to a point where Dude. characters are here from live action films. No. Are we going to, are we going to talk about this now? You want to jump into this? Oh, I can not, not the big one, not the big one. Cause I think okay. we, we'll get there in so, the verse, but right. Uh, like we've, we've discussed this, like how could this happen? Would this ever happen? We've talked about this. I feel like for two or three years now, like, is there a way? And like I said at the beginning of this episode, like I, there are more animated Spider-Man than live-action Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse, okay? And like that, I feel like this movie is telling us that. Like we see the web of reality or whatever you want to call it, and we see Tobey Maguire with Uncle Ben, and we see Andrew Garfield with Captain Stacy, and we hear you know 2099 talk about Doctor Strange and that nerd from our universe and all that kind of shit. Like I feel like for, for me, since Sony handles the Spider-Man property, they, they're laying down what they can. Like, they couldn't show the new kid, but they could reference him. They could show their Spider-Man, who were just in that kid's movie, and they could talk about how villains are popping into our universe randomly, just like it did in that movie, which explains why, like, villains are popping in and out of all these different Spider-movies randomly. So it was a nice way to, like, clean everything up and also open up possibilities of the future, you know? And like, I think it was a good way to kind of broaden their horizons and say like, Hey, you know, anything's possible. Like they all existed. Like, you know, they did a much better job than DC recently did with flash in my opinion, 
of saying like everything we've done before is like a possibility. And, and you know what I love? Again, this is pure Sony, but they're still respecting MCU decisions or just MCU styles, right? Like the um, the timeline looks like the timeline from Loki. Like it's not oh, right. like a different yeah. looking timeline. Uh, how about all the hexagons, right? Like we've already established in the MCU how powerful the hexagon is when something breaks in the fabric of the universe it is shaped like a hexagon that's also the case here the webs that connect that you're describing are hexagonally if that's a word shaped through those connections so again instead of being like no no no, we're the superior spider-man universe and ignoring it they're like hey let's all coexist which awesome right awesome for fans awesome for guys like us who put so much time and effort into watching these movies as silly as that sounds but specifically you and i with the spider stuff we said it when we talked no way home it like made the effort of watching all those movies and just the emotional tug that all those movies had with us feel earned because it's like oh no they did exist you don't have to delete them and this just again takes that to a next step and i bring it up here rather than later because if you if you're watching the movie they're mentioning so many things that are not even comic book uh, canon, but movie canon, right? We get later um, allusions to the Upside Down Kiss, and I know that's also a comic book, but it, right. I, I think at this point it's more known from the film. Uh, there's a couple of uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man allusions or things that only happened in that franchise that they're making canon here. So this is not just like a comic book nerd's dream. This is just a Spider-Man fan's dream. Uh, how about the cartoons? There's a lot of things that happen in the cartoons that they cite as canon here and not just background, uh, you know, filler, if you will. So this is truly like, if you love Spider-Man, you have to love this movie, I think. Yeah, I mean, I even, I mean, they even pull from video games. Yeah, like uh, every every medium, and that's what I love about this is that, like, they're saying it's it all it's it can you can go into any of these worlds. Like the Ben Riley character being like two D, like he clearly comes from the actual comic book that he's from. You know, like that kind of stuff is really fun to think about. Um, you know, that you could get the guy like the version that's on Amazing Fantasy fifteen is out there somewhere doing his thing. So. I just really think it's a lot of fun. Like these creators have like, they know just the right amount of how to play in this sandbox too. You know, like they're going to give us a million versions, but they're never going to really dwell on more than four or five, like we did in the last movie. So they know how to keep our attention and how to keep the story moving. Um, Like each of the spider people that we do sort of gain to know, like have like service the plot and, and kind of like propel the story in certain directions for their own reasons and in service to Miles's overarching story. So like everything just feels right, you know, just from a storytelling perspective, you know, like all the pieces that are in place feel appropriate. Uh, and like, it's just refreshing because none of it feels like it looks, Some sometimes it might look like, things are jammed in there right because of the style of the the art style and so many art styles kind of clashing together but like actually you know sitting down and watching it and like everything is is perfectly in place like everything is a great piece of this puzzle and like you know i was very i was very excited watching this movie just from start to finish all the twists all the turns all the different attitudes all the different points of view, just a lot of fun. I think what you're getting at too is that it 
the chaos in the background is done with purpose. Everything feels like it's yeah. well researched, and it's weird to say that a movie that does this doesn't feel like fan service, but I genuinely feel that way. Like it, everything has a purpose here. Even even the fun stuff has a purpose, which again, it, it's really really cool. Uh, so bef- again, before we enter the Spider Verse, or I, I guess this is Spider Verse stuff. A couple of things I wanted to mention. I think another allusion, and I could just be reading into this too much, but another allusion to the films is when he's him and Gwyn are on the Williamsburg Bank building, um, and he's saying how that's his favorite spot to look at the city. If you recall, in uh, No Way Home, the Peters are talking about their favorite spots, right? One's like, oh, I'm on the Chrysler yeah. building, Empire State building, and that stuck out at me like every Spider-Man in the, that is based in New York has like a favorite spot. So I, I thought that was cool. Oh, we get like that lady from Venom, uh, the spot. Oh, right. Yeah. Spot starts like he, he like goes inside himself or something. He figures out that he can do more than just like portal himself from one place to another in the same universe. He could actually jump into other universes and cross dimensions. And so there's that moment where, um, nice Lord and Miller shout out. He goes to the Lego verse. Yeah. Uh, at one point, and then he pops his head. We get our first interaction with live action is when he appears in um, in Venom. I thought it was funny how the he goes from one bodega trying to steal the yeah. uh, ATM to the other bodega, the one that appears in Venom, uh, and he like meets that lady who runs the bodega who's completely unimpressed. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I could see people. At this point, like when I saw the Lego thing, I'm like, oh my God, where is this movie going to go? I wasn't like disgusted. I don't want to make it sound like that. But I was like, are we just going to roll through these different worlds and it's all going to be about comedy? Um, But it really wasn't, right? Like this is one of the only moments uh, between the Lego and again the bodega where it's played for comedic effect. It's played for shock value. Well, I think what's interesting about the storytelling is how... Even the character of Spot is like, oh, this is fun. Like, look at this. Everything's different here. And even Spider-Man, he's like, when he gets to um, Moombatten, what do they call it? Mumbai, but Manhattan or some shit. Uh, Uh, I can't remember. Moombatten, I think it is. Yeah, like even when he gets there, they're like, "Look at this! Is fun! Like, look how fun! Like, we're we're seeing different versions of everything, and this is interesting." And then it, and then slowly. uh, like it becomes like holy shit like look how dangerous this is like and then eventually it becomes like we have to stop because we're destroying reality and on on spots end he's like it's going from like being fun to like you're ruining my fun to like now i'm gonna ruin everyone's fun and i'm gonna destroy reality <laughs> <laughs> i like how it starts off it, it like lulls you into this sort of false sense of not necessarily like a genuine false sense of security but like because it's an animated cartoon kind of thing, it's like very focused on you having a lot of fun at first and then introducing these danger elements little by little to the point by the end of the movie, you're like, shit, this cliffhanger and Miles, like he's in fucking danger. Like he, he, you know, like this is bad. Like I think they're going to like take him out and replace him with them and like, you know, do their thing of looting across the multiverse by the end of this, but we'll get there. I keep delaying it, but I do want to talk about one more element in, like, the real world, if you will, or Miles' world. I I do want to ask your opinion on Miles and Gwen's sort of budding romance here. I thought in the first film, 
even though Miles had a crush on her, like clearly, they were just friends. This one sort of teeters between them being friends and maybe something more. Uh, Like, you know, there's moments where Miles, like a teenager, though, like pushes the element a little bit more here. You and me, it's... We're the same. In the important ways, you know? In every other universe, Gwen Stacy falls for Spider-Man. And in every other universe, it doesn't end well. Well, it's the first time for everything, right? Do you like where this is going with them? Yeah, I I thought the stuff with the parents was was good too, with the parents and Gwen. Um, I I do because like it evolves a their friendship changes a lot over the course of this movie and he starts out sort of kind of like every teenage boy with a crush and he's like infatuated with her and she's kind of crushing on him too but like it feels like for different reasons and you come to find out that like she's not like the coolest person because she's keeping secrets from him and she says she cares about him but again it goes back to like you know if you really cared about him you'd probably gone right away and been like look there's this like spider-verse and you're kind of responsible for this damage or whatever like she would i feel like she would come clean a lot i understand it's not easy and like you wouldn't have a movie but like he trusts her in a certain way that she takes advantage of in this movie right and when he discovers that i feel like he cools off on her a lot okay to the point where like if if she was falling for him too at some point he puts her in the friend zone by the end of this movie and it's like we're just friends yo like we can be great friends but like i feel like that by the end of the movie might be out of his mind because also he meets other women he meets the spider bite he meets the 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 vr girl that i think they are hinting at something there also or at least like a possibility and then that even raises more questions as to like i think the movie is very kind of brave at being like we're introducing this relationship between miles and gwen because he's he's puerto rican and she's white and then miles is gonna meet an african-american spider girl later who's very who he thinks i mean by the looks they exchange is very cute you know and she helps him later and there seems to be some kind of solidarity between them uh that isn't between him and gwen because possibly because Maybe, I mean, maybe because she's white, you know, like, and she betrayed him already. Like, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you kind of situation. I like how complex it is, is what I'm getting at. It's not clear cut. It's not just like Miles is trying to impress her the whole movie. Miles is trying to, like, get her to like him the whole movie, you know? And it's not like when is treated as, like, this golden apple uh, object of affection kind of thing, you know, put on a pedestal to that degree either. Like, he likes her, He's like, but, you know, it's the first spider person he ever met, right? Or I think it was Peter, but he technically met, met her first in school. But, like, my point is, like, they kind of share an interesting bond, and it doesn't need to get romantic. It can just be a, an interesting friendship and it can be complicated. And I think that this movie does a good job of saying friendships can be like that. You can be a friendship 
between a boy and a girl. Like, doesn't always have to be romantic. They could be complicated. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Mike. Like, I, I was worried about this when I saw that they were hinting at that. I was like, oh no, like, is this where the movie's gonna go? But then I was like, exactly. Like, there's a little bit of a betrayal of trust. Um, again, you see her reasons too. She definitely wants to spend uh, time with him. There is an energy between the two of them. It's pl- like you're right. It's played so well with the parents. Um, you know the stuff the mom says, the, the stuff the dad says. Also, I love the gag of him getting grounded. Like one month, two months, three months. I think that stuff is hilarious. I'm okay. Like I think they handled it so well that I'm okay in any direction it goes. If in the third film they end up becoming somewhat romantic, I'm totally fine because I think they've earned that. And if they're not just friends like it's lower, but like if they end up being friends, I think that's cool too. For me, I think their friendship is always going to come first no matter what, even if they do end up getting together. And I think that's what makes it earned and most important to me. You're right. She's not objectified. She just happens to be like arguably the coolest not the coolest girl in the movie arguably the coolest character in the movie so they feel they i say they feel like equals they're quite literally equals because they're the spider people from their particular universe so i was surprised with how much i was rooting for them at points because i never thought that i wanted them to get together nice interesting Cool. Are you ready, Mike? Are you ready to enter the true Spider-Verse here and, and go, <laughs> go into the world of 2099 and the Spider-Base or whatever it is and, and talk about all the happenings? And This movie feels like it's kind of in two parts, right? Or three, really. But, mm-hmm. but like you have like the domestic stuff and then you have the Spider the stuff. The spot stuff. Well, then you have the spot stuff and then you have like the spider brigade uh stuff um <laughs> but yeah i was surprised how late they, they got to this i thought this would come way earlier uh, but it kind of t- like kind of they spoiled a lot of this in trailers it, it was a big reveal in the movie but i just gotta say like once they get there and and they start explaining what's going on like i'm i'm really like oh right like this is really cool how they're tying this all back to miles so if i may just a little bit of like why there even is like you know spider-man 2099 and his team is that the scientist who turns into the spot they were pulling spiders from other universes and so miles got bit by a spider that was from a different world not his own and because of that it like screwed up the multiverse because that means someone else didn't get bitten by that spider. And then the Peter Parker in his world died and there can only be one. It's like Highlander. There can only be one Spider-Man <laughs> on every world, apparently. But like, I thought that was really interesting, right? First, that's number one. So like they kind of blame Miles for starting this whole multiversal unweaving of the web, as it were. Two, they introduce this concept of canon events after he saves the guy on the bridge in India Spider-Man. Which we'll talk about, yeah. And so the idea that everybody has a sort of um, avatar of Uncle Ben and they have to die. And everybody also has sort of like an avatar of their girlfriend's dad and they have to die. So Miles is kind of like, well, that's 
bullshit. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to save them both. And they're like, you can't do that. You're going to destroy reality. It's written. It's canon. We all share this. It's what makes us Spider-Man. And he's like, I don't believe you this and that. And so like, I thought all of that motivation was really interesting and fun way to play with, you know, canon, like, like comic book canon, like, you know, backstory, all that kind of stuff. And which leads me to what I think the next movie is going to be about, which is retconning. Uh, they're going to discover, like, you don't have to stick to canon. You can retcon things. Like, you can change the way it's supposed to be. And so Miles will most likely save his dad. But, like, anyway, I appreciated all of that kind of additional storytelling on top of the emotional stuff. We have these stakes now. And not only that, but they, they blame Miles, you know? Like, it it's not really his fault. He didn't bring the spider from another world, but like, it's cool how he's sort of been like mislabeled. Like he's literally mislabeled Spider-Man, you know, like, and has to live with that now. I thought that was kind of an interesting development. And uh, potentially with the ending, you know, the, a lot of people I saw online were saying like, he might be in the world that the spider's from that bit him. Yes, he definitely is. So yeah. like we might meet, the actual Peter Parker who never became Spider-Man in that world in the third film. Well, we meet the Miles who never became Spider-Man who might have been bitten by that spider, right? And he becomes the fucking Prowler. Uh, and you get like one shot of the city and you see like a world without Spider-Man is like crime world. Sinister like Manhattan has been like taken around, over yeah. by the, yeah, the Sinister, Sinister Six Syndicate. So like that's a great comment on Spider-Man too. It was like, well, this, this universe doesn't have the spider-man because you because kind of like this world is your fault now too it's like shit <laughs> let's go through then um some of these characters and some of the uh sort of mini sagas and storylines um we get to experience here let's start with uh though i guess she's another spider woman the one who's on the motorcycle and she's pregnant like how cool yeah. is that like a pregnant superhero yeah yeah we don't really get much of her backstory or any of that kind of stuff as much as i was hoping for really but she's badass she's got the motorcycle and she shoots the webs from her fingertips and everything and yeah I, that was that was a cool not my not my favorite one but definitely a cool one yeah um, i like the ones where they really kind of push the animation style of the actual kind of spider people yeah for sure uh just so so but quickly on her um She's clearly a high-ranking person in this spider army. Yeah. And I like when Gwen says, like, what? Can you adopt me? You know? And she kind of does, because Gwen joins the team. She's in charge of these things. Oh, by the way, they have these, like, wristbands that get them through time. And we've seen this in... Uh, they're similar to what we see in Avengers, if you think about it, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they, they also look like the old uh, web slingers. Oh, they do, yeah. Kind of... Uh, the cuffs kind of thing. The next person I want to talk about quickly then is uh, the Spider-Man India. That sequence yeah. was awesome. Just the animation yeah. there. It was like, a, again, a Bollywood film. Jay, who's the new guy? Hey, Pop. He's Miles, and he wasn't invited. Oh, you weren't invited and you came anyway. Right? Hey, new guy must be in love with you. Okay, no, whoa, I'm not. Oh, I'm very good at reading okay, people. Who are you? I'm glad you asked, new guy. I'm not a new guy. My name is Pravitra Kropaka. And for the past six months... And even he got a watch? Yeah, uh... Being Spider-Man is so easy. I wake up, skip the workout because I'm naturally buff and I don't want to get too big, you know? 
do almost nothing with my amazing hair. You don't use any product at all. Just coconut oil, prayer, some genetics. Then I swim by school, don't really have to try, but I do anyway. Fight a few bad guys, feed a few street dogs, quick break for a cup of chai with my Maya auntie. I love chai tea. What did you just say? Chai tea? Chai means tea, oh. bro. Oh, You're um, saying tea tea. Um, Would I ask you for a coffee coffee sorry, room for sorry. cream cream? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It was just so, so immersive, like, like the city was enormous. It was like perfect playground for Spider-Man. You know, like it makes perfect sense with that architecture and and everything. And like he he has like that. It's not like a yo-yo, right? Like I don't know what the appropriate term for what he's using might be, but like he's got like the uh, the thing on the string that he whips around. Yeah. And he uses as like a pulley thing sometimes, but that was really cool. Uh, um, yeah, and he he's a big character because he joins he joins the team. Uh, essentially, he joins the good guys. Well, right. That's that's the thing. Is like we didn't. I don't know if we mentioned. Is like Gwen actually comes around by the end and like goes looking for uh, Miles and like forms her her own little like crew of spiders. Yeah, it's hard. To, he's on it. It's hard to know which Spider Man to trust at this point. Like, there's a certain point where you're kind of trusting all of them, and then you start to see that some of them, you know, are more by the book here. But one guy who, from the beginning does not go by the book and they've been they're alluding to him the entire time when when uh when miles is like wait who are you hanging out with you know oh uh, you you sleep in his world how does that go um and then we meet him and he's cooler than we could even have ever imagine that's spider punk all right my name's obi obi brian i was bitten by you glad to know yeah man for the last three years i've been the one and only wait 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 I'm gonna show you my secret identity. Come out of it. That is when I'm not playing shows, antagonizing fascists, staging unpermitted political action slash performing art pieces, or having a laugh at the pub with a man there. I'm not a role model. I'm briefly a runway model. I hate the AM, I hate VM, hate labels. I'm not a hero. Just calling yourself a hero makes you a self apologizing narcissistic autocrat. I thought you hated labels. Wendy, you left a jumper around my place. Well, what's a jumper? It's a sweater. How many sweaters do you have? Uh, that's that's not my name. And your toothbrush. Wait, what? Yeah, he's like a he's, I, he's like a Sex Pistols album essentially. Well, like he yeah he looks he looks like a punk rock flyer from the early '80s. You know, like I used to make photocopy flyers. Um, in class in high school when I was supposed to be learning for my band. <laughs> but like, yeah, every time he moves, it's like a new uh, collage. He's like, he basically lives in a collage. Like they show his London and it's like old clippings pasted together from magazines and newspapers and stuff. And like, you know, he's all about anarchy and up the system and right. Like I'm a, I'm a true punk group or rocker, <laughs> all that kind of shit. Like it's fucking awesome. And yeah, man, it, like it's, it's kind of funny that like he is part of the bigger collective because he's so anti-establishment that he's actually going to like guide miles uh, throughout this a little bit like he's kind of looks at miles and sees like a little bit of himself in him in the way that he's not just blindly following orders like most of these other people like even even gwen is just like yeah this is miguel like he's spider-man 2099 like he did all this it's like yeah but like He's the he's like the warden of the multiverse. Like this guy is kind of a creepo in a lot of ways. Like he's really abusing his authority. Um, he's kind of hiding the fact that he's a vampire to most of these people. I'm assuming, and 
yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, we've we've brought up a lot of the important characters and so, sort of how they weave into this story. And uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine. This Os- I think Oscar Isaac's performance is amazing. Like the intensity of it, you believe him. He again, he doesn't also seem yeah. like a a big bad. He does seem creepy, but not in a weirdo way more in like a maniacal way but you sort of see where it comes from when you get a little bit of his backstory oh yeah yeah i understand i mean he's he's doing he did the wanda thing like you know he lost a kid so he went into another universe and basically took over when you know for that version of himself like that version of himself in that world died so he went in he he slid into those dms and it's like (laughs) i'm gonna raise it's it's very much like in Fringe too. Uh, something like that happens, but it's like that's insane, you know. Um, I think he realized that at some point, like he was doing the wrong thing, but not before. Um, you know, he clearly went too far. I love well-intentioned, you know, gray area bad guys, if you will. Right, like uh, that's why a lot of people like Thanos. Like Thanos feels like he's doing yeah. the right thing. This guy definitely feels like he's doing the right thing here. And a lot of it makes sense. Again, he's just like too militant. That's why when you get Spider Punk's yeah. version of things, where he's just like, "I, I quit. I'm not going to do the accent." Or, I, by the way, I love when Spider Punk, uh, when canon events don't happen, they create these black holes, and he's like, "Oh, it represents capitalism." Like he's just like uh, Spider Punk's lines <laughs> are amazing, but uh, it just it just jives so much with the character that he would be like, "Nah, fuck this. I'm out." And nah. I'm I'm gonna help Miles at this point because, you know, I just like this is the anti-establishment here. It's like that absolute power corrupts absolutely thing, and and uh, Spider-Man yeah. 2099 has become this absolute power here, and he's too like rigid to see actually what's going on. Um, and yeah, like I'm curious to see what what happens with this character in the next one. The sequences in this world are just amazing when all the spider-men are chasing him like the animation there is just insane there's so there's so many spider-men though like i wish they maybe did like a slow-mo shot and slowed down a little bit and showed a little more a little clearly but i loved the um web slinger who had his horse he's (laughs) like why is the horse wearing (laughs) uh that was great all all of the spider animals are great how about, um, how about a cat. Ha, oh the cat yeah the dinosaur the dinosaur the cat was great it's, it's the webs but um, how about a how about yeah, I would, Peter Park car did you like Peter Park car Peter Park car was pretty hilarious the spider <laughs> buggy I liked that a lot uh, I didn't see the one I was hoping for I wore my shirt of Japanese Spider Man I didn't see so him look this up Mike giant, but did he have his giant robot he did not have the giant robot but he was in the background apparently okay um, okay it was hard to see no that's like easter egg uh what's it called the the writers have said that like they they really want to include japanese spider-man and the italian spider-man at some point um i don't know if they'll get to it but you know you have i, I don't remember her name but you have like the the robot penny parker yeah penny parker like representing japan so maybe they didn't want to double up on that but japanese spider-man deserves it um there is someone we haven't talked about here uh oh yeah as we also see the spider villains in this place a lot of spider villains from different worlds we 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 see 
I guess there's no other way to describe it but clips, but just visions of actual live-action Spider-Man. You mentioned Tom Holland doesn't show his face because, again, probably licensing or whatever, but um, we get part of the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man universe. We see the Andrew Garfield yep. Spider-Man universe. But the biggest yep. representative from the Tom Holland universe is... Donald fucking Glover. Donald Glover. Like, holy shit. Like, this is amazing. This is on, like, a lot of different levels, like, so crazy to finally happen. Like, well, so in Homecoming, he basically plays the Prowler out of his costume, right? Like, he mentions when talking to Spider-Man that he's got a nephew in these parts and all this kind of stuff. But he is, like, a bad guy shopping for weapons. And he has the same name as uh, the uncle. Yes. Aaron, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. So what they did in this is like they were talking about how, oh, you know, ever since the event and the thing with Doctor Strange and this and that, like villains have just been popping in here from all over the fucking multiverse. And apparently even some of the live action villains, because Miles shares the screen with Donald Glover live action and they're in the same frame and it feels totally fine to me. I'm like, I'm buying this. Like, I don't necessarily want to see cartoons start starting to show up in the MCU per se, but like I could deal with this and Donald Glover is decked out in like the MCU version of the Prowler outfit. You know, it was just like so awesome to see that he's the live action Prowler, but What's like even crazier is, to my understanding, the Miles Morales Spider-Man character was created directly in relation to the fact that Donald Glover wore a Spider-Man pajamas on an episode of Community and started kind of campaigning to play Spider-Man in a live-action movie or some some. Yeah, in some iteration. The internet did it first. They're like, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if he was Spider Man?" And he was like, "I would love to play Spider Man. That would be awesome." And then you're right. Uh, Miles Morales was developed shortly after that. I was like, "Oh, you know, that's a cool idea." Um, and of course, by the time they were casting Spider Man, he was a little bit older than the character they wanted to play. Yeah, yeah. But to play Uncle Aaron is like the next best thing, right? And to be sharing the screen with a character you inspired must have been just amazing for him, you know? And, like, I can't imagine being able to pull that off. Like, that that was just incredible. Like, as a fan, I was like, holy shit, that's so cool. Like, I, And then my second thought was, I'm so happy for Donald Glover yeah, yeah. to have that frame forever, like, on film is awesome. Yeah, a couple notes on that. I know I said, like, oh, it, it doesn't do a lot of fan service here. Of course, this was fan service, but this is, again, well-earned fan service. In this world, again, if a, if a child goes here and doesn't know the backstory, it, it makes sense. It doesn't feel out of place because there's a lot of other villains there, and he's just another version of the Prowler. But for right. people like us, like, again, I was thinking about Donald Glover, too. I was like, yeah, you know, I know you couldn't play Spider-Man. But, like, this is even better. Him just mm-hmm. wanting to play that character, the fact that it spawned these movies, essentially, you almost have to thank the guy because they're cultural phenomena. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of a better way to kind of, like, yeah, do that. To be, like, to have him involved in some way, I think this was a good way. And the other uh, thing you hit on, Mike, and I'm glad you said it. Okay, we get live-action people here. We get live-action moments. And you're right, it looks great. I don't feel like I'm in Roger Rabbit. I know Roger Rabbit was awesome for the time, but like 
you can really see Toon and Human in that. Yeah. Here it felt a little bit different, but you said something funny. You said, I don't want to see cartoons in the live action. And I agree. I 100% agree. But isn't it weird that we kind of already have cartoons in the live action? We just talked about on your podcast a MCU movie that at least 50% of it was about an animated raccoon in live action. Yes. And we were okay yes. with it. Yes. That's... Yes, but that's not my. I, I, that's not what I mean. No, I know it's not what you mean, but isn't it funny that like in yes, our brain there's certain, there's certain lines that like oh well that's okay Howard the Duck can show up and that's fine, but but you know what it is it, we and I realized it like I was thinking about this last night what we can't have in our brains what we can't process is an animated human going into like Good point like the, yes. their world right that's right it's the uncanny valley yeah we can't. <laughs> we can't cross that threshold yet but like <laughs> the reason i think it is so natural in this film is because we're already have been exposed to so many different styles clashing like spider punk every time he walks his walk cycle is like it could be dizzying for some you know like he changes looks so much like there's like no consistency to him and that's part of what's awesome about it but like the idea of getting your mind already acclimated to seeing all these different styles when you bring you bring a a real person into that you're just like okay it's just another style (laughs) you know it's just another form like of art fine like drop it in there i'm cool i mean like the fucking da vinci vulture at the beginning of this movie thank you like that that is so out of control like that they pulled that off is like no holds barred you know like it should have known we'd be seeing more um like live action stuff later in the, movie. the levels of that let's go back to that that version of the vulture uh when we're hearing that the vultures in manhattan and they're like oh does anyone know italian i'm like wait is the vulture italian <laughs> i don't remember that and the fact that they're at the Guggenheim, a modern art museum, and and his anger is that like this is not art, you know, and he's drawing right. that Da Vinci, uh, Vitruvian Man style, and he's moving in that style. It's like your first indication of what this movie is gonna gonna be about, and their little dialogue with like what is art, like it's just amazing, right? It's also got such a great kind of meta. Uh, overtone to it as well because we're watching a work of art you know like in many people's minds like people refer to the first movie as like it's not just a movie and I'm not I'm not making fun of them I agree with them but like it was sort of an like a hyperbial kind of term where people were like it's so amazing it's not a movie it transcends that it's a work of art right and like I, I actually agree with that all right but like People were so hyperbolic about it at the time, but the movie's making a comment on it by having a character go in the movie he's in, going like, "You call this art?" Yeah, like yeah. referring, I feel, to the movie he's in, to being like, "What is this crap?" Like everything's all over the place, but it's like, no, like you're from the past, bro. Like this is the way, <laughs> like the eye has changed. You know, like we can we can process way more than uh, when you were just sipping your cappuccino drawn on your um dyed paper or whatever you're you know anyway i thought that was a great moment it's it's so good it's so awesome thank you for reminding me about it. again when you're in the theater here especially i watch it at at the draft house where they very much frown upon you i guess i could take it on like little, little note mm-hmm. cards but like i, I want to pay attention to the film as well 
Um, you know, there's so much that you and I are probably uh, forgetting to talk. There's a lot in this movie. Um, uh, other other person in my notes again is uh, Peter B. Parker. His journey again. It's fatherhood. He's in the robe for a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, he ends up also, which was nice, like, also being one of those who sides with Miles and realizes that, like, you know, creepy Oscar Isaac Spider-Man might not be the best <laughs> dude. I loved his uh, his kind of thing about, like, being a good teacher. They're like, you weren't a very good teacher, were you? And then he's like, well, he outsmarted all of us. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, kind of. I don't want to, like, say nothing. <laughs> Just really fun character. Love love that actor. Jake Johnson, uh, yeah, yeah it's great. He, he's like yeah. his voice is great for it. I think I said this last time. Like he's the Peter Parker that I always envisioned. Like sort of like, mm. well, yeah, awkward Peter Parker grew up. That's who I thought he would be. Yeah. So I feel like when I was at one of the moments I was really reading Spider-Man, it was kind of around the time where it was starting over again. I think it was the first time it relaunched. It, I'm not talking when Todd McFarlane got his book. I'm talking about the amazing Spider-Man relaunched in like the late nineties. And like, this was kind of where they went with Peter Parker. where like, he was having marriage issues and like work problems. Like he was, he was working in a lab now. He wasn't working as a reporter anymore. And so like he was meeting interesting new people who were drawing him away from his old friends and stuff. And it just felt, mm. felt more kind of soap opera drama kind of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, well, this will ground it. Cause you got to ground him somehow, you know? And it, and I guess it, in retrospect, they turned it into a bit of Melrose place. Is what it feels. Cause that was, they aged it. They kept aging. They kept him aged. Like he was, you know, now in his mid twenties or something, early thirties or something. So we couldn't give him teenage problems. And like they, they then, I think, in a few years, dropped out that again and rebooted again, and then he was a teenager again and stuff. And so, like, it's nice to see older Spider-Man is, I guess, what I'm getting at. You know, and I, I liked, and I guess that's why I liked when, um, especially when Tobey Maguire came back, because it's like, that Spider-Man's my age, and he's still swinging, and, like, he's got hip problems and stuff. <laughs> like, you know? The Tobey Spider-Man feels like the jake johnson spider-man right like that they feel like they're, they're very close i feel like jake johnson's a little more andrew garfield but had the experiences of toby yeah that's a good way to put it right they're almost like a little they're like a combination he's a combination of the two of them um i think um originally they did want that to be the toby spider-man but they thought audiences for the first movie would be a little too kind of confused by that now they could have had Tobey Maguire saunter onto screen at some point and be like, what's up? Whoa, I feel animated. Yeah. <laughs> also, just taking taking notes, again, I took like a lot of notes right after I watched it, but you, you, I don't know if you noticed, but you saw almost every cartoon version of Spider-Man in the background. Like, there yeah. was that, like, the 90s cartoon I watched, there was the, the original cartoon Spider-Man. Of course, they do the you, you, you pointing thing with everybody, which, you know, big gag these days there was apparent and i was reading an article there was apparently a lot of allusion to the ultimate spider-man and the ultimate uh set of heroes and apparently oh god i wish i could credit who wrote this apparently that was also a throwback to the mcu because like 
all of phase one essentially is based on ultimate editions of these comics yeah yeah well miles comes from that universe miles morales comes from the ultimate universe because they wanted to kill off peter parker but they couldn't do it in the main comics this is one of the reasons the ultimates world was created was to sort of take a new t- twist on these heroes for the modern age you know post 9-11 and like do it more grounded and realistic. It ended up getting out of control and hyper violent pretty quickly, in my opinion. Um, but yes, like even in the first Spider Verse movie, Peter Parker is killed in action, and Miles becomes the new Spider Man. And yeah, a lot of the depictions of the heroes in the MCU, especially Nick Fury, because Nick Fury was drawn as Sam Jackson mm, yeah. using his license likeness without even telling Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson, a comic book collector, walked into the store one day and saw himself in a comic book and said, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, get my lawyer on the phone. Ultimately, I think was like, I'm cool with this, but like, just tell me next time. So the Ultimate Universe is very much kind of what the MCU is much closer to and it's always sort of been a struggle between what do we do do we do it more grounded like that or do we go more fantastic and i think like lately they've been going less ultimates more old school actually you know especially with the tv shows and stuff a lot of that feels like it's ripped from the 70s and 80s as opposed to like the more kind of like i don't know in quotes serious stuff that they try to do and on that on that kind of note now, I watched a couple of videos, so Mike, you, you should would take more out of these videos than I would, but there are people who have paused the film, if you will, or like just from scenes, and I think, you know, they, unfortunately they did give away a lot in the trailer, but I think it's the filmmakers who said this as well. They tried to pay homage to the best artists in the Spider-Man series, so if you're a fan of the artists, you'll see... Uh, you know, uh, a lot of their work sort of in the background with different wow. Spider-Man. They wanted to almost like a thank you for doing this one, thank you for doing that one, like, you know what I mean? Um, here or there. So definitely, like, extra credit homework for you, Mike, and people who actually know the names of these comic book artists. Check that out. Yeah. So that's kind of bittersweet because one of the great Spider-Man artists and great comic book artists of all time, John uh, John Romita, recently passed. He passed like two days before Father's Day. And it's good to know that there's a version of his Spider-Man running around back there. But yeah, I would imagine there's a Steve Ditko and a Todd McFarlane and all those kind of, uh, you know, did, did Herb Trimpey ever uh, draw Spider-Man? I know he drew the Hulk, but... <laughs> you, you would know more than me. Uh, so... Is there anything else we missed? Um, I'd like the, again, I like the whole concept of them um, using the canon because it's like, that's a big thing in comics is like retconning and all that. And like also changing versions of characters and stuff. It's like, I think it's a good comment on the idea that, you know, for as different as these Spider-Man look, they are too similar. They do share too many experiences like, I don't know that that's a good thing, right? Like, let some of them have an Uncle Ben that lived and see what happens. That doesn't mean that they're never going to learn with great responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. Same with, you know, having a Captain Stacy um, sort of surrogate pass away on them. Like, just because your girlfriend's father 
died in the line of duty with you trying to help them, like that doesn't always mean like you're going to get the right lesson out of that either. You know, like what if you stayed alive and you became crime fighters together? Like, you know, who knows? So like, I like that they've opened a discussion to this, to being like, you know, maybe we're too much alike in a lot of ways. And we'd be more interesting if we tried to open up other avenues of our canon, so to speak, and we retcon some of this stuff. So I, I really believe that that, I hope that that's where the next movie is going to go is that like Miles like sort of teaches Spider-Man 2099 the lesson of like, we can do this. I think it, it starts actually in the end of this movie, you know, Gwen tells her father at the beginning that she's Spider-Gwen, right? I'm the girl you're looking for. What are you going to do? Arrest me? And he's like, yeah, you're under arrest, right? <laughs> so she takes off. But then she's forced back to face that situation at the end and found out that her father quit the force, you know, and is just like, I only care about us, right? We need to be good. I care about you. are my daughter. So like that saves his life, right? So maybe the new canon is if you have the guts to tell the people you love that you're spider-man they don't have to die in the line of duty and you could go on and still be spider-man and like that is you know maybe that's what makes you a better spider-man right is like not keeping that secret from your parents so i hope that's where they go with the next movie is like how else can we change our canon who else who else's life can we save you know like maybe by the end of this we'll see like him running through the park with Norman Osborn and like, there's no hobgoblin or like, you know what I mean? Like maybe all of this can change everything for the better. You know, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thought. Um, the fact that this ends too on such a cliffhanger, I was surprised. Like I knew there was going to be too. a third one, but this was like, Whoa, it wasn't like, this was, dude, this was like fast X. Yeah. Like yeah, really. we are in the summer of cliffhangers. I need another, like keep it going. And honestly, the whole time I'm wondering where Spider-Ham, I'm wondering where Spider-Noir is, right? Like I'm wondering where our friends from the original yeah. are. And we see them appear at the end with our new friends. And it's like, Oh shit. And I'm getting excited for what this third one's going to be. And Mike, I happen to know an expert on part threes uh, on the network here. Yeah, I have a feeling it might be the charm. <laughs> so we'll have a big crossover event of our verses, if you will, on that one. Oh, yeah. The podcast verse. So before we get into our questions today, these are the other Spider-Men that I looked up who were in the background that I just wanted, you know, just give shout outs to. Apparently there was a Bruce Banner Spider-Man in the background. Oh, cool! Oh, yeah. Th I think he turned into a Hulk in one in one issue, <laughs> which which is crazy. Let's see. Uh, There's so many that are just based on so many different armors and 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 costumes that he wore. Yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, here's one I definitely wanted to mention. Uh, did you catch Sun Spider? That was the one um, in the chair. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool character, uh, Sun Spider. Oh, this was a big one. A lot of the young people were excited about this. Spectacular Spider-Man, which is the newest, or like the, the newest cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in it, same voice as the person who does it. So like if you're a fan of that cartoon and you're a kid and you were watching this, you were like, holy shit, he showed up? So apparently that was very cool. 
Okay, I remember that, and there was also another Spider-Man Unlimited. Spider-Man Unlimited was up. there, yeah. That cartoon's amazing. Scarlet Spider? Yeah, the Scarlet Spider. That's Ben Riley. So what's interesting, that's part of the clone saga when Spider-Man wasn't sure if he was a clone or not, and there were like multiple Spider-Mans. <laughs> One of them took moniker Ben Riley, which is the name of, that's Uncle Ben's. So Uncle Ben is Ben Parker. Aunt May is men is May Riley. So he took Ben from Ben Parker and Riley, who is his aunt's maiden name, and he became Ben Riley. Oh. And he walked around the streets. He dyed his hair blonde and he got this cool new suit. Everyone loves that suit with like the sideways spider on the front and he wears like a um a blue hoodie. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the hoodie comes from. Miles wears the hoodie in the first movie. So that's where that look comes from. <clears throat> and that's the one where he looks like you know, like he's actual 2D and he's voiced by Andy Samberg. <laughs> and I'm not one who, and if you are, look, that's your prerogative. I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum. I'm not one who gets attracted to animated characters often. But I, t- uh-huh. but I tell you what, and this is going to be weird. I had a crush on Lila, who's like the AI of <laughs> of the sp- spider bite. No, that's the one. Miles, no, is that the, no, is no, that no. Lila was the oh, little oh, AI oh. woman who was just like the assistant to oh Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Look, I like this girl. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> I guess she's got. I could see that she sort of got that vibe going. I, I liked her right? vibe. Okay, exactly, exactly. If you're listening out there, you're like, oh, how come you missed this Spider-Man? Or how can you miss that Spider-Man? We apologize. Again, we saw it in the theater. We weren't able to pause and take notes. I tried to do as much research as possible. There's a lot of great stuff in the background here. I cannot wait to watch this film again. Absolutely. I don't know. Like, I... I wish I, I like. I think they did a very clever thing in like the Spider World by not. Even though I said earlier, like I wish we met a couple more of them. I, I, they actually did a good job. I like because because of what I said before. Like they all kind of feel samey in a lot of ways, you know. And I think that that's something that the next movie might try and address. Is like, you know, for as cool as it is to see all these different Spider Man, they're all kind of like the same in a lot of ways. You know, it's just. They, you know, now that you know that they all have the same canon and everything, so there's something a little unremarkable about them, which is interesting, which makes them, in my opinion, more interesting. But they almost feel like a collective, right? They almost feel like, yeah, okay, so here's Spider Woman, here's Spider Man 2099, and here's the collective, like here's everybody else, you know, and they all kind of function in that way. They're like a hive of some kind. It's you know? clear we're also getting the coolest ones in the new team that's forming. Like the good guys are like the coolest individuals from the first two movies mm-hmm. that we're going to see sort of stand out from, like you're saying, the hive, if you will. It's awesome when the hive is chasing him, but yeah, I, I you're, you're right. I want more individual attention on certain ones in, in the third film. One thing I'm happy about the third film, though, it, because of the cliffhanger nature, we know it's a teen film, so happy about that. Well, what I was going to say is, like, we know it's going to happen. Like, it's actually going to have to happen because it's a cliffhanger. So there's no way they can't make it, right? No, I, I believe they wrote the scripts at the same time, and they're probably working on it already. I mean, maybe not now because of the writer's strike, but hopefully soon. So let's get to our questions and awards, Mike. So I think we sort of answered this one, but who was this movie made for? Uh, it's made for like everyone, right? That's what we keep saying, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Like, they somehow managed to make, like, an amazing four-quadrant movie. All right, most likely to succeed. Which character won the movie? Um, Spider-Punk. He's definitely going <laughs> to succeed in whatever he does. <laughs> he's going to do it his way. And if it's not his way, he's going to make it that way. I do love Spider-Punk. I almost thought we were never going to see him remove the mask because he felt so stylized. But when he does, he's, like, just as cool, if not cooler. Dude, right. that's a great line when Miles is like, how are you even cooler under the oh, mask? Yeah, I forgot he even says it, and he's right. <laughs> I, I, again, I love when I see my, my characters, especially teenage superhero characters. They think they're hot shit, and then they just get one up by someone who's just a little bit cooler than them. <laughs> well, I love how we got a, a guy to Spider-Man going like, I'm Spider-Man, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bob's your uncle, and I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> Wooderson Award. Maybe it's the same answer. I don't know. Is there a character in the film who you would have liked to have seen more of? Uh, so, f- remarkably not Spider-Punk. I think he's in here for the perfect amount of time. Plus, like, he's not that easy. On, I mean, not that he's not cool looking, but, like, uh, animation style-wise, like, he is sort of the, um, like, most like out there right so like i think it would be hard to do a whole movie of him or like more of him i think they used him perfectly in this movie actually you know what i would actually like to see hmm, what i want to see more of maybe we're gonna get it in the next one i want to see the movie start with prowler miles and his origin And I think, like, you know, that's what I really, I'm looking, like, they really ended this on a really cool cliffhanger like that to be like, you know, I didn't become Spider-Man, but I became Prowler. And, like, you know, that was cool. Prowler Miles is badass. Um, Just to segue into that a little, I know we talked about the ending, but uh, there was a couple other things I wanted to mention from it. When when he's in that world, the early subtle differences, I didn't catch this, but people online were saying the mom looks slightly different. She has different color eyes. And her hair is a little different, apparently. So, like, if you're a keen observer early on, you're like, huh. Yeah, his jacket's a different color. He's wearing purple and green instead of black and red and white like his Jordans. Yeah. So, when he meets his uncle, his uncle knows right away, which is great. It's like, oh, what happened to your braids? (laughs) And I didn't realize it was going to be a second Miles, obviously. I was like, oh, this is interesting. What's going on here? And it's like, holy shit. When you see badass prowler miles for the first time it's earned how scary he is yeah absolutely like super big threat like to think that aaron isn't prowler that it's gonna be miles like i I just like the whole twist on it like the idea that somewhere out there like in the way that peter became the lizard like they almost foreshadowed it right they foreshadowed the idea that like there could be a dark version of miles out there somewhere but they kind of spend the whole movie like not making you forget that but like it's just it's just something they dropped in in you know in the beginning of the movie to be like look like not all peter parkers were good uh what's you know in the back of your head you should be thinking maybe not all miles morales are good because obviously not all miguel's are good um, yeah. you know, this Miguel running shit like, uh, 1984 over here. <laughs> like, 
you know, we're cleaning up your mess and like tying up knots in the multiverse and shit. It's like, well, don't blame him entirely. You know, there is a guy out there named Kang the fucking Conqueror, like doing shit too. <laughs> so maybe like have a word with him or one of his thousands of variants. But maybe even a- animated Kang the Conqueror from a What If series. Maybe he can do. Yeah, I mean, there was also a great Kang the, the portrayed in an Avengers cartoon during the. 2010s or oh, really? point. I don't know. It was really, yeah, it was a pretty cool Avengers cartoon. I think it's on, it's definitely on Disney Plus, but uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Like, don't put it all on poor Miles. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's out there fucking up the timeline. So I mentioned this before, but I would like to see a little bit more of Spider Woman, uh, Jess Drew, uh, the pregnant yeah. one. I just thought she was really badass and really cool. And I did want to mention this, that uh, a couple of places had sourced the character less to the comic book version, but more to a version found on the old TV show, The Electric Company. Oh, okay. One of the characters there would play a Spider-Woman version, and there was a lot of allusions to that, which I'm like, wow, that's a really deep cut, but pretty awesome. Um, again, that's awesome. I can't verify that. I, just, like, I think I read that in a Hollywood Reporter article. I know uh, Morgan Freeman showed up as Spider-Man on that, I think, at one point, or wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt or something. That would have been funny if he showed up. I know Spider-Man would randomly make appearances there. More again, to anyone who wants to say, like, who's New York's favorite hero, I'll say it again. It is Spider-Man, because Electric Company is such a New York show. So, All right, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose own mission would make the film better? Would you delete anyone from the film? Uh, Definitely not. I don't think so. What are you going to do, delete, like... uh... Peter parked car, like you know what I mean. Oh yeah, I know, right? Yeah, maybe uh, one of the spider people I can't see in the background. Yeah, exactly. So not even worth mentioning here. Another question not worth mentioning: Cameron Fry wore too old to be a high schooler. They're animated; it doesn't matter. So let's move on. Yeah. Let's grade the film. Remember, we use a report card system here in High School Slumber Party. So A plus to F scale. Here's the red pen. Here's the Manila card. But first, our cheat sheet. It's early, but this is getting rave reviews. Ninety-five percent by the, sorry, ninety-six percent change. Ninety-six percent by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety-five oh. percent by the audience. An insane letterbox score. I think it'll go down, but for right now, it's four point six out of five. I only say it'll go down because, like, this would be four point six out of five would make it one of the greatest films of all time, and maybe it is. Who knows? But Mike, red pen. Manila card, A plus to F scale, what will you grade? I'd have to give it the old A plus plus plus. I don't know. I really like this movie. Like, And I liked it on so many different levels. Like, I thought the writing was great and the story was good. And it's a fun Spider-Man movie. I love him. I, the, the art and the animation and all that is incredible. And, like, so many fun ideas. So many interesting just developments. So much, like, just honesty in it like you know i talk about often how not just movies but like tv shows and stuff like creators will 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 like set it down start writing it and then force it to go where they want instead of listening to the voice of those characters and the story and letting it kind of tell the writer where it should go and this is a kind of moment like that where i feel like this is a movie that like creatively took over itself and like guided the people working on it where it should go uh and so i just love it i can't wait for the next one and i'm I'm just so glad we live in a world with these 
Spider-Verse movies. Look, maybe it's recency bias, but I, I'm with you. I gave it an A plus or or No, if it's it's not recency bias because like I I saw like with Guardians and The Flash true, and like true. other stuff this year. It's just like I walked out of those movies exhausted and melancholy and like this tackles similar things like deep issues and like, you know, catharsis and like neurosi and all that kind of stuff that's going on here but like it doesn't feel like a drain on me like those movies kind of did you know it didn't put me through the ringer in that way without giving me other things like that fucking ending was awesome you know like such a great twist ending and stuff so yeah somehow there was just like a lot of magic in these movies i really can't wait for the next film that's for sure this is a tough question mike because this is such a visual film but you and I were at our Spider-Verse 2 slumber party, and we have custom. Mm. Oh, I know, exa- I, know exactly, I know exactly what I'm doing. Spider-Man, across the Spider-Verse sleeping bags. What does your sleeping bag look like? So definitely one of the best little moments in the movie, just one of the most adorable things like ever, is when little Mayday pulls down her crochet spider mask. <laughs> It gives that look of like, let's do this. So I want a spider crochet sleeping bag. And I'm sorry, MJ, you probably knitted that. Maybe Peter knitted that. Maybe maybe Mayday knitted it herself with her spider weaving powers <laughs> of like knowing how to knit. But like somebody knit me um, a sleeping bag like that. That's what I'm taking. I love it. That's a good one. By the way, I, I know we mentioned the runtime before, but um, I, I kind of was like uh, poking around the internet, like as you were speaking, to try to get an idea for myself. Um, and then I read this quickly. This was the longest animated film ever produced by an American studio. I know there's been longer Japanese wow. ones, but that's crazy. Wow, I didn't know that that was a thing. I, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Like most of those Disney movies are pretty short. But it, it didn't feel long while I was watching it. It didn't feel like it was dragging, no, which is no. it's awesome. Um, so my sleeping bag, it's going to be the spot-themed, right? Like on the outside, it's just going to be those spots, whatever. You know, Maybe it looks like a Dalmatian. It looks pretty bland. But since the inside is black, it's like a spot, so you can feel like you're crawling in to your own hole there, right? Oh, your own spot. Very nice. I like it. Very fun. Right, Mike, you and I are in the magical blockbuster that is every film that has ever existed up until this date. We know that we are renting Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, but we get to the counter, we see a sign that says rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Mike, head to the back. Find two other movies that you would watch alongside this film to make a perfect Slumber Party triple feature. What films are you picking? All right, Brian, so we're going to have an animation fest a triple feature. So one movie, very popular, I feel. Um, I must see. I saw this movie when I was 13, and it changed everything. I'll mention it first because I probably won't talk about it as much because I think people know about it, but that is the 1988 classic anime by directed by none other than Katsuhiro Otomo. I'm talking about Akira. Mm. Akira needs to be seen. I think it's a great movie to watch with this too because of the Akira's art style. Like, yes, it's anime, but the fluidity of the animation is like just 
jaw-dropping. I mean, it was very groundbreaking for its time. I feel like it's still very ground. People are still trying to figure out how they made some of this movie. There's a documentary being kickstarted around right now um, about Akira. So fascinating. Great manga as well. Great story there. But the movie, I kind of, I don't know if I'd say I've discovered it at 18. I mean, I'm sorry. I discovered it when I was 13. So that was 1992. It came out in 88. I wouldn't say I like necessarily grew up with it, but like I watched it almost like every year since I saw it. So I guess I grew up with it. Like it's, it's one of my favorite just movies. So I would say number one would be Akira. Have you seen it, Brian? I have not. I'm familiar with it. Uh, I'm not a big anime fan. Does that, mean, that doesn't mean I don't I, like it. I just, I haven't watched a lot of anime. Just throwing it out there. Uh, it's a high school film. Is it? I was. I didn't realize yeah, that. They, they are high school aged kids. They go to a vocational school. So it's not a traditional high school, but uh, they are high school kids. And while it is not necessarily like the easiest like movie you know to watch once like you know i think you get the gist of it you know you get what's really going on you know as much as you need to and then you could go back multiple viewings if you if you're interested to get like what's happening else what else is happening there but the the teenage story i feel is pretty clear cut in this one it's it's everything else in the world of akira that's kind of like what (laughs) definitely definitely need to check it out what's your second pick all right so my second pick few years earlier 1983 by another seminal animation director none other than mr ralph bakshi i don't know if you're familiar with that name at all he's famous for incorporating rotoscope very much like i mean disney did it too but he made it his bread and butter and i think this is one of his best movies ever it's from 1983 it's called fire and ice fire and ice. yeah it's like a dark fantasy adventure and there's like a sort of conan type character who wears like a cat pelt over his face as a mask um it's really amazing i think like some of bakshi's stuff might be hit or miss some of it like i've never seen fritz the cat um oh yeah he did that he did some of the early lord of the rings cartoon movies that's um, where i know the name cool- yeah yeah, Cool World was, I think, like one of his last big movies back in the 90s. But I love Fire and Ice. Uh, I think he might have had something to do with Rock and Rule, too. That's another good one. But like Fire and Ice is incredible. You know, the the animation in it is is awesome. Like they did a lot of filming live action and then tracing over it. Like that's basically what rotoscoping is. Like you can go online and you can look up why like in Disney, early Disney movies, they would basically like use the same photo reference for multiple films so like Mm. i think mobley dancing in the jungle book is the same as like some robin hood yeah uh, robin hood dancing right so like it's that kind of animation style uh but it's an awesome movie check it out uh so that is my animation triple feature love it love it those are not your classic disney films there so no (laughs) i hope our audience can uh you know tell me a little bit more about them like you have and if they haven't seen them like me i hope they get exposed to them great picks mike and a great time as always entering the spider-verse with you uh i feel like we have a lot to plug we host another show together called uncle francis's wine cellar uh we are currently plowing through 
that I, I say plowing like it's not enjoyable for us. We have a great time on that show, so definitely check that show out. Mike, you mentioned The Monsters That Made Us is currently on hiatus, but you can still check episodes of that out. Anything else yes. you want to plug? I mean, you're a busy man on the network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was recently on an episode of uh, Joey and and John's episode, the is it Class of 1999 podcast? Is that the name of it? They're going to kill me. I forgot. Worst plug ever. Uh, check me out over there talking about Wiki Wiki Wow Wow West with my Monsters That Made Us co-host, Dan Cologne. And if you can't get an, if you can't wait until October for new Monsters That Made Us, Dan is going to be joining me over on my show, Third Time's a Charm, this summer multiple times we've recently we just recorded an episode for psycho three so we're going to try and do a couple horror part threes over the summer um while we're not doing the monsters that made us so maybe join us over there if you're looking for for our voices and all that stuff Uh, in the meantime check out all the old episodes too on cageclub.me and for us here on high school slumber party for me and you specifically it's going to be a summer of Corey. It might be a summer oh, yeah. of a certain reptile. It might be uh, a pizza party, not just a sleepover. <laughs> uh, I can't wait. So thanks, Mike. Bye, Brian. <laughs> Leave the cannolis. Take the guns. No. Big thank you to Mike Manzi, as always. Definitely check out our show together, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. And thank you for listening to our episode on Spider-Man across the spider-verse can't wait to talk the third film can't wait to chat again remember to check us out on social media instagram facebook twitter that's where we'll announce what the next episode is but (sighs) time to hit the hay and crawl up in those sleeping bags and go to bed and end this slumber party but remember guys life moves pretty fast you don't stop look around once in a while you could miss it. Let's leave you with another song off the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse soundtrack. How about Am I Dreaming? It's fitting for the slumber party. Am I Dreaming by ASAP Rocky and Rosie. Later, friends. Go.